Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome into another edition of Fizz 5, everyone. Ethan Frank, Liam Griffin, we're back to dissect everything going on with Syracuse football, Syracuse men's basketball. It has been a very hectic last seven days or so since Cam and Carter last spoke to you. But first, Liam, how are you doing on this beautiful Thursday morning? You know, it was supposed to rain this morning, but it's actually sunny outside today, which is a bit of an upside and you know you know that song Mr. Brightside I'm kind of feeling in that mood today Mr. Brightside also known as Liam Griffin also known as LG he's a man of many talents maybe he can start singing for us one day here on oh, you, gotta pay, you gotta pay for that show Diesel you gotta pay for that show oh okay uh we'll we'll see what we can do um a lot going on on the fizz this week um And uh, we're here to break it all down. So let's get into topic number one. Number one. Starting it off this week, we we have to do a preview of tomorrow night's football game. This will come out on Friday. So it's tonight's football game uh, between Syracuse and Virginia. The Orange looking to start 4-0 for the first time since 2018. Virginia looking to avoid dropping back to 500 and potentially stealing a road ACC win. And something interesting that caught my eye, Liam, when doing some research about this game was that this is only the second time these two teams have played since Syracuse joined the ACC back in 2013, which is uh, kind of crazy. But I guess when you think about the coastal and Atlantic splits, how Syracuse only plays two coastal teams every year, and one of them is automatically Pittsburgh. Uh, it makes a little bit of sense. Right. And this is, well, first of all, that won't be a problem in the foreseeable future, given the ACC scheduling change that goes into effect next year. But this is the first time Syracuse and Virginia have met since Dino Babers took over back in 2016. And with that, SU will now have faced every single school in the ACC under Coach Babers' tutelage. And yeah, like you said, it doesn't really surprise me because, I mean, yeah, you're only going to see two coastal teams a year, and one of them is automatically fit. And I'm excited. Every time you get one of these ACC matchups that you never really see, like like Virginia Tech last year, or heck, even Duke a few years ago, even though that game didn't go well, if you start to get excited because you don't always see it. Yeah, no, you, you don't. And – It'll be interesting because Brennan Armstrong is a quarterback I think people have watched from afar and have been like, wow, that is a really, really talented signal caller. And um, he's been not as good last this year as he was last year. But I, I think that's also a product of losing his his two offensive coaches in Robert and I and Jason Beck, his, his position coach. So that's something we could talk about as well, because those two guys are now coaching for Syracuse and Garrett Schrader has been better than he was last year. So I think that's something that definitely plays into this. Yeah, it's absolutely the biggest storyline of the game, whether or not you have this sort of revenge factor. I don't really know if you can say, but at the same time, Anai has a ton of inside info on the Cavaliers. But with that, Virginia has a ton of inside info on Anai and what Syracuse's offense is potentially running. So. The question is, which one will play out? And, you know, 
I have a feeling it's going to be an emotional Friday night in the Dome because, you know, Brendan Armstrong, like you said, hasn't been good. And this narrative has been forming around him that he's a product of a night. If he goes out and balls out against him this weekend, it completely changes the script of things for the worse for Syracuse, for the better for Armstrong. Absolutely. And when you look at Syracuse's secondary last week, specifically against Aiden O'Connell, he uh, he dominated. Uh, whether Syracuse was playing soft, whether Syracuse was playing tight man coverage, it didn't really matter. O'Connell was able to find guys underneath or go over the top to Charlie Jones. There was no Charlie Jones on this Virginia team. So I think Garrett Williams is breathing a big sigh of relief. But it, it's a it's a team where there are still threats around the perimeter. And because Armstrong is so talented, the skill position players don't need to be at Charlie Jones level for him to be successful, which I think is the scary thing. Yeah, and you mentioned the multitude of targets. I mean, Dontavian Wicks topped 1,000 receiving yards rather comfortably last year. And then Johnson, whose first name I'm not going to try to pronounce, it's Keaton. 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 Keaton Johnson had 990 last year, so he was within inches of getting 1,000. And, yeah, Ethan, like you said, Brennan Armstrong hasn't been the same guy as he has in years past, but at the same time, when you have two threats of that caliber in the college game, that instantly makes you among the most dangerous offenses you're going to face this year. Absolutely. And Tony Elliott is the new head coach at Virginia. He's in his first year coming over as Clemson's offensive coordinator, something we've seen from the Cavaliers. They're running the ball much more this year than they have in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how the Syracuse defense prepares for that, because something I was really impressed with against Purdue was how Tony White was able to make halftime adjustments against the Boilermakers, went from sitting back in coverage in the first half to blitzing a lot in the second half and sending a lot of pressure at O'Connell, forcing him to make a couple of mistakes, which he did. We'll see if he does the same thing to Armstrong. That's really something I'm looking out for. Yeah, because after UConn, Syracuse entered the stretch of, it feels like every week they're going to face one of the best quarterbacks in the country, with the exception of Wagner. But other than that, I mean, the only exception I can possibly think of is Boston College, because Dracovic has not been what we thought he was going to be. So, it, it, it's not going to be easy. And I feel like if Syracuse can bump, kick it up a notch after containing O'Connell to a degree last week, it'll say a lot about this team. Absolutely right. Syracuse and Virginia kick off at seven on Friday in the JMA Dome. The second game of a four-game homestand for the Orange. All right, let's move on to topic number two. Number two. All right. Numero Dos is going to focus on a an article I wrote on Wednesday, that published on Wednesday. Oh, you're excited about and this. This is a good one. Uh, if you haven't read it, head over to theorangefizz.com to uh, check it out. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, scanning the interwebs and I found this great column from Donna DeToda at Syracuse.com about Adam Weitzman talking to her about what he wants to do in terms of NIL with his companies. And he said, he's going to offer a million dollars to one five-star football recruit and one five-star men's basketball recruit to represent his companies and try to bring them to central New York. So we already knew Adam Weitzman was Syracuse's biggest booster, but now he is putting his money literally where his mouth is. And, and, making a big time offer because Syria, as I wrote in the article, Syracuse is 2023 recruiting. They've got nada so far. Same with 2024 while other ACC schools like Duke have a, a full starting five that, uh, that they've gotten, 
commitments from it. At this point last year, Syracuse had had three commits as well. So that's a problem. Uh, it's, you know, the end of September, this, these high school seniors, you know, they're going off the board rapidly. I don't know what Jim Beheim and co's plan is. I don't know if it's too late for Weitzman to help with 2023, but it's definitely a welcome sign and something that could possibly change the game for SU. Yeah. First of all, it must be nice to be able to give recruits a million dollars just like that, just to benefit your college athletics team, but that's neither here nor there, to be honest. So Here's what stood out to me. This came in the wake of Drew Fielder, someone who was on a lot of SU fans' radar, committing to the Providence Friars on Tuesday, and our colleague Cam Azir wrote about that. It's another miss, and, you know, I'm frankly getting sick of the lack of an inherent recruiting class because, and I'm just throwing it out, say everyone transfers. Say people go pro. What sort of plan do you have for the future without a recruiting class, if all these things happened in this day and age of college basketball movement, I think it's very concerning in the near future. But Adam Weitzman, who has had a multitude of famous guests in the Dome, Jimmy Fallon, Gronk, Pete Davidson, the Anacupo brothers, it's a welcome sign that you have that booster money available all of a sudden. And it's really something... It's been a hot topic in the SEC world of college football, but now it's finally coming here. And I got to be honest, it feels like a relief. Absolutely right. We will see how early it goes into effect. But looking at it from a football perspective, I mean, this is a Syracuse team that is 3-0 and right now and does not have a five-star recruit, has, barely has any four-star recruits. So that's a good thing if you're Dino Babers as well, because Adam Weitzman's usually synonymous with the basketball team and not the football team. So the fact that he's offering this up to, to Baber's program as well, I think is a really good thing on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cause let's be real. There was little to no reason to be invested in this program's future up until their three, no start to this season, but you bring in a big booster money from a guy like Weitzman. Now you can make a long-term commitment to the future. Dare I say with Dino Babers as the coach down the line. Wow. I, I would I, Dino Babers as the coach down the line doesn't sit too well with me, but uh, maybe if Syracuse can put together back-to-back winning seasons, then uh, then I would start to buy in. I need yeah, to see it I'd more agree. than one year in a row, Dino. I'd agree. With um, we will uh, we will see what happens with that and uh, how early Weitzman's offer goes into effect and if things change start to change for SU in the uh, 2023 recruiting, which uh, the cupboard is bare right now. All right. With that, let's move on to topic number three. Number three. All right. Topic number three. Syracuse men's basketball ACC schedule came out last week. So let's dive into it a little bit, Liam. Uh, Some must-see games. I've got a few circled, but uh, I want to hear which ones you're most intrigued by. Give me me three games right now. Give me three games right now? All right. So – and are we doing just the ACC or just the ACC? Okay, just, just the ACC. The ACC. Got it, just there, the ACC. There is one non-con I have my eye on. Okay, which uh, you can give me that. You give me one non-con and three ACC. All right, the non-con is Colgate because if Syracuse loses to them again, this city is going to go up in flames. They shouldn't. Their loss to them last year was unacceptable. It would be even more so if they came back and lost to them again at home, nonetheless, this year. Absolutely, I can concur with that. All right, and for the conference games, 
home against Duke in the middle of February because it's Duke and it's been a one-sided quote rivalry over the past few weeks and or years, excuse me. And it's the first matchup between Coach Beheim and John Shire. And frankly, I'm intrigued to see how that affects things. I also have to talk about North Carolina because they are coming off of a run for the national championship. They are bringing the vast majority of their core back with the exception of Brady Manick, the power forward. They're going to be lethal once again. But the matchup I have my eye on most, December 20th, when Pitt comes to the Dome, because of one Dior Johnson coming to Central New York after he decommitted from them almost two years ago now, goodness gracious, then went to Oregon. And over, two, over two years ago. It was February yeah. 2020 when he committed. Yeah, he committed. He decommitted in November, though, right? Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He committed almost, it was two and a half years ago at yeah. this point. Yeah. Dude, first of all, crazy how time flies. Secondly, Johnson is going to play the Grinch in a matchup a few days before Christmas. The only question is, will he steal it or will the Who's walk away happy? The Who's being Central New York? Because I think we can expect the Who's to give a lot of booze. Uh, are you Shell Silverstein over there, Leo? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Call me Shell. So- Doctor Su- Doctor Seuss. <laughs> hey, hey, what can I say? Doctor, we got we got Doctor Griffin. What we got Doctor Griffin on Fizz Five today. All right, let me give you my form. I'm going to start non-con. I'm going to start with Georgetown at home because that's another game you lo- inexplicably lost last year. You bring them back to the dome. Every time you played Georgetown in the dome, it's been a very good game. I'm interested to see what Patrick Ewing's squad looks like, a team that did not win a Big East game last year. Another thing I'll say about that game, Syracuse has not hosted Georgetown in front of fans in four years. I have a hard time thinking that Central New York isn't just eager to see this, to see Syracuse wallop Georgetown, maybe not wallop because it's always close between these two teams, but give Georgetown a loss after the humiliation the Hoyas gave them last year. Absolutely right. Uh, that's my big, uh, big non-conference game. Uh, it may not be the biggest, but I, I think it'll be fun. I'm looking at January 14th at home against Notre Dame. Uh, JJ Starling, a local Baldwinsville oh, kid who Syracuse was heavily recruiting, decided to go to Notre Dame. I'd like to see what his reception is when he comes to the Dome and how well he plays uh, during his homecoming. I think that will be a really interesting game. And then you got to stretch at the end of January into early February. Syracuse plays one, two, three, four, five road games in the span of seven games from January 16th to February 8th. Syracuse plays five of its seven games during that stretch on the road. The road games are Miami, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, BC, and Florida State. So maybe not the toughest opponents, and I'm doing a little cheating here, but how does Syracuse fare during that road trip? Um, that's the start of the spring uh, semester. The home games in that stretch? Home games are North Carolina and Virginia. So tough home games. And, you know, it's the start of the spring semester. People will be back on campus, but the basketball team won't be. They will be on the road. And I'm not going to sit here and say that the, those five teams are five of the best teams in the ACC because they're not. I think Duke, North Carolina, and Virginia are the three best teams in the ACC. But how Syracuse plays on the road will be very interesting during that stretch. So that's that. But then you get to the back half of the schedule, and I'm looking how Syracuse fares on its last 
six games. So after that, you get a nice break of six days off before four of your final six games are at home. So I, I cheated a little bit on this segment. I, I apologize, Liam. Oh, but, you can cheat. You're providing a wonderful analysis, my friend. So five of seven on the road, a little break almost a week off, and then four of six at home to end the season. Usually what we've seen over the last couple of years is Syracuse playing a lot of road games at the end of the year. This year, it's the opposite, and I'm interested to see how that goes. Uh, who are those home games against? The home games, it's NC State and Duke, then you're on the road at Clemson and Pitt, and then you host Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. So besides Duke, it's really not that tough. No, not at all, because Georgia Tech has been – Truth be told, a bottom feeder in the ACC with the exception of when they won the title a few years ago. Uh, Wake Forest fell apart at the end of last season. To be honest, I don't have high expectations for them. And NC State, for the lack of a better term, has been kind of mid for the past few years. So I don't really know what we can expect. And I think that the road versus home splits in the ACC have the Orange somewhat set up for success. Like, you don't have to go to Chapel Hill. You don't have to go to Durham. You get those matchups at home. Take advantage of them to the best of your ability. Is it fair to say to expect them to win? Probably not. But if they can keep it competitive throughout the game, I can't help but think that puts a little bit of a boost on their tournament resume because let's be real, Ethan, it's tournament or bust this year. Yeah, the, the, there is no doubt about that. Tournament or Bus need to go over 500 in the ACC as well after after going under last year. Um, all right, that's topic number three. Let's move on to number four. Number four. Number four. Liam, I know this is one you really want to dive into. Syracuse yeah. football's wide receivers. Hit me. Uh, so before the season, I wrote an article about wondering who could break up out as the top receiver. I Talked about Damian Albert, talked about, heck, I even mentioned Sean Tucker's name, Dan Valari's name was in the convo. But I also said, keep in mind that there could be some unexpected source to come out and be the WR1. And Syracuse may have found that this weekend in a Ronde Gadsden. Six catchers, 112 yards, a pair of tutties in the win over Purdue. But I know, I know he's... His position is technically up for debate. It's at, it's kind of unclear whether or not he's a wide receiver or a tight end. That doesn't matter. If you can consistently get him the ball, it doesn't matter where you line him up as long as he's doing his job well because Syracuse did not have a receiver go over 400 yards last year. That can't happen again. And, you know, Gadsden, almost halfway there, but I'd like to see him string together a few more of those games. Yeah, it's just all about, you know, how Robert and I utilizes him because, you know, we saw it with play action. And I think play action has to be a big part of this offense going forward because the threat of Tucker is your biggest weapon at this point. And Dino Baber said as much after the game that I, I was in the dome covering the game for Orange Fizz. You could read my recap at theorangefizz.com. You can listen to our our fizz spaces that we did on Twitter after the game where uh, Ian Unsworth and John Eads joined me just a little promo for that. It was a very good, you know, 30 plus minute conversation, but you know, it's all about 
who you have on the field and the route concepts you're designing. And I just thought Syracuse was a little too pass happy against Purdue, especially with Garrett Schrader not being as effective as he was in the first two weeks. And maybe that's a product of him not practicing at all last week, which came out this week that a lot of the team was dealing with an illness and he didn't practice because he was sick. Um, I don't know how much of a factor that played into it, but you know, he wasn't able to find receivers downfield at all. And we know he doesn't have the best arm. So I think more underneath play action crossing routes is, is what's up for success. And that's what we saw Gadsden score a touchdown on. And I, I think what needs to be more worked into the offense going forward. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember Dino also saying that the job isn't necessarily Gadsden, but he has certainly landed an interview, which is good. But say Damian Alford, and I'm just spitballing here, say he goes off for 200 yards. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But then it's a debate again. So I'd like to see Gadsden deliver as the top target more consistently. But I'd also like to see a Courtney Jackson or a Trevor Pena, even though he's mainly a special teamer, step up to be a solid number two. Because Virginia's offense last year, had two top dogs, and they were the third most potent offense in yardage in the entirety of the FBS. Yeah. I I, I just don't think – I mean, you just look at the talent of, of the receiving core and where they were recruiting-wise and where they are now, and just nothing gets you excited. Right. Nothing. Which nothing. Fair, which is fair. And Isaiah Jones is now likely out for the year, too, and he was yeah. playing really well. So, awesome. you know, Alford had that one catch against UConn, and, and, and that's it. Basically, he had that one sideline catch that was a catch and then was overturned because his heel was out of bounds. You just don't have a complete receiver. Courtney Jackson's a guy who can get open in the short to intermediate routes and Devon Cooper, that same vein as well. But when you're going up against top talent like a Big Ten team in Purdue, Virginia is not at Purdue's level, obviously, as they got smacked by Illinois, who's not as good as Purdue. But I think DeVito's. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> – this team just doesn't have the receiver talent to get open downfield. It's as simple as that. Unless, you know, the other team runs an all-out blitz with 12 seconds left, and you just have to throw it over the top and beat one man. Only time will tell, because it would – the passing game has already looked infinitely better than it did last year. Just imagine what it would look like if Schrader can get his consistency from his wideouts. Absolutely right. All right, let's move on to our final topic of the day. It's number five. Number five. Okay, I know this is something you want to do, Liam. We're, we're looking back at our preseason record predictions heading into week four. Um, if you have them up, I'd love you to read the two of ours aloud. Uh, so I would like to first off apologize to Fizz Nation for my lack of positivity heading into the season. I said Syracuse was going to finish 3-9 on the spot. Three wow. games into the season, they already have three wins, and I feel like a clown. There's no other way to dodge that. And, Ethan, I believe you had them as 4-8. Correct me if I'm I mean, wrong. I mean, yeah. I thought, you know, I thought going into the NC State game, they'd be 3-2, and two, to be honest. I thought they'd probably lose to Louisville and lose to Purdue. And they – they could have lost to Purdue, but they were never in danger of losing that game to Louisville. So, right. and Notre Dame's not as good. 
as as they've looked, BC has not looked very good. So that's two more possible winnable games. Florida State, you get at home. Anything can happen at home because this is such I'll a good home team. Too, right. All right. I, the games I'm concerned about are NC State, Clemson, Pitt, and Wake. I, I don't want to chalk them up to losses, but I think those will be very difficult wins. So I, I think if you pencil those in for four losses and you have three wins right now and you pencil Wagner in for a win, I think that's four and four with four games left to play with. And that those four games are Notre Dame, Florida State, BC, and Virginia. And if you're four and four with four toss-up games, I think you got to be happy if you're Syracuse and, and, and we're fools. The only thing is, I don't think Virginia and Boston College are toss-up games anymore because neither team has looked Even good. on the road? I, Syracuse does not play well in cold weather on the road. Okay, that, that a is a good team. point because it will be frigid in Chestnut Hill come November 25th. But at yep. the same time, BC just hasn't looked good. And the optimism in me, which apparently I need to bring out more, according to my preseason prediction, says that Syracuse gets the job done there and this weekend. I think... I think the Orange finish at seven and five. How they get there, I don't know. But I think they end up winning seven games and are either going to play in the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium or the Fenway Bowl at Fenway Park. Liam loves baseball. No way around that. I, I think that's a strong prediction, but I, I I can't go that far yet. I need to see, I need to see it first against a good team against because uh, Purdue is good. I need to see it in the ACC and that first test will be against NC state. So we got a couple of weeks before that, but yeah. Liam, any final thoughts before we sign off? Apologies again for my negativity and get a recruit in the class of 23 for goodness sake at Q's Mubba. All right. That's Liam Griffin. I'm Ethan Frank. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fizz 5. You can read all our content from the two of us and our other staff writers at theorangefizz.com. We have new content posting every single day of the week. Syracuse football on Friday night will have live coverage from inside the dome, as well as your Fizz Spaces postgame reaction on Twitter as well. All right. For Liam, I'm Ethan. Signing off. Thanks so much for listening again. And go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.